0: Trigger warning, Death and Friends is not a podcast for the light of heart. Many dark and serious subjects will come up. Listener discretion is advised.
1: Okay, look, team, uh, right out of the gate, I gotta tell you, the subject of today's episode is very sad.
2: Uh, People die, A city is destroyed, and there's just, there's a lot of racism. Mm. And capitalism. It's, It's a whole thing. It's a thing.
1: And I will also tell you that it sounds fake as all hell.
2: To be real honest, when Nash pitched it, I was like, what?
1: It also sounds like it could be kind of funny. Or maybe a prank.
2: And unfortunately... It is not. Mm. None of those fun things. No. So, on that note, let's get this thing started, shall we?
0: In the molasses distribution system, sometimes bad things happen. In Boston 1919, dedicated citizens and workers are members of an elite squad known as the victims of the molasses flood. These are their stories.
2: back skeleton army i'm ice t and this is officer lenny briscoe
1: there's no such thing as hooker client confidentiality
2: thanks lenny that's messed up
0: you guys know you can get sued for this right
2: do you, do you think we can, like do you think this is bad like do you think the, i mean, I mean not, you did I say it was a joke mean, I mean, and I then did, he immediately went into a law and order bed.
1: i know well law and order is
2: like <laughs> <clears throat> i'm angel and this huge piece of shit is nash i get it I do. I really do. Good.
1: Now, paint the picture, kid. Dumb, if you please.
0: North End, Boston, January 15th,
1: 1919. We're here in the real Bean Town.
2: No. Nope. Yes.
1: And more specifically, we're in Boston's North End. Now, if you're familiar at all with the city, you know the North End, famously the Italian neighborhood, where the Italian shit is. Like, little Italy. You get it. Literally. You got it. You got it. Right, right, right. So I bet it might surprise you to know that actually in the mid-19th century, it was an all-Irish
2: neighborhood. Que cosa? That actually... Wait a second. Hang on. Whoa, wait. What the hell is this? What, what are you doing here, man? Get the fuck out of here!
1: Yep. That's our good pal racism. Racism.
2: Yay.
1: You overstepped your cue there, friendo.
2: Uh, yeah, he um he tends to do that. He tends to do that.
1: And why the Mexican music? Well, I guess let's get into why he's here. We've talked a little bit about the treatment of the Irish as they showed up in the States in the mid-19th century, fleeing the great hunger and political unrest. But I bet the only thing you know offhand about how the Italians were received is probably nothing. It's just nothing. Nothing at all. What?
2: But, But people love Italian stuff.
1: It's in very recent memory that the Italians get the white people edit in the good old Freedom Colonies. In the nineteenth and twentieth centuries, what they see is instead, well let me check my notes here.
2: Oh wait, hang on. Hang yeah. on. Is is it this one? Here. Yep. Wait. Hang on.
1: Mm. Yeah, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yep. That's the one. Yeah. All the bad shit that white folks could churn out. All of it.
2: Oh, good for them. That's that's good. That I'm I'm happy. I'm I'm just I'm so happy for them. Yeah. I love that for them, honestly. hmm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm.
1: There are a few reasons for this, and that's in quotes because obviously it is, but they boil down to the Italian language is loud and white people can't speak it. Mm. The Italians had high illiteracy rates, even in their own native tongue. So that makes white people think they're stupid.
2: Okay. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You're telling me these white people mad because they don't have culture? Basically.
1: Yeah. That's sort of how history goes. Because of limited access to communication and how they're viewed, Italians are only ever given menial hard labor jobs which cement to the whites that they couldn't do other jobs and therefore are inferior. And because they had to take jobs that are hard labor and there's so much abundant hatred towards them as a group, they're often extremely underpaid and therefore impoverished, leading white people to once again assume they're
2: stupid. What's crazy is that nowadays we've clearly moved on from this mentality as a country Mm -hmm. and there are no modern parallels whatsoever.
1: None. None.
2: Yeah. So like, White people have like a non-white hatred checklist? Is that just a thing?
1: (laughs) And you said we had no culture. (laughs) You're looking at it, baby. How are you going to be oppressed if we aren't here? Tell me how.
2: Okay. First of all, aren't you like literally half Irish and half Italian? Yes, but both
1: sides of me are white now. Thank you, history.
2: Mm. Okay. Well, if you're Irish and or Italian and you've got that sweet, mm, Mm. Mm. sweet white privilege, Think a brown person today.
0: Thank all minorities, especially the brown ones for being so brown and making it so that all of the lighter-skinned folks could assimilate.
1: The other thing white people don't love about Italians is their tendency to be anarchists and just generally anti-capitalist.
2: We love to see it. We love to... Wait a second. Hang on. Mm -hmm. Does that make me... Am I Italian? Sorry.
1: Actually, all of us find out this way. Is this why I like carbs so much? Welcome to your new life. Anyway, you might find the names Sacco and Vanzetti familiar, since they were pretty famous Italian immigrants and anarchists, and we'll get to them in a laser season, I promise.
2: But for now, just know Italians came here because they thought they could work hard and have a better life. And, moments upon arrival, were immediately radicalized against the capitalist system. Mm. They walked up and were like, oh... Oh, no, 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 <laughs> no, 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 uh, no again. Um, let, me think, let me think of this through. No. So, no thanks, actually.
1: Which is exceptionally relatable of them, I think.
2: Yeah, no minor parallels whatsoever.
1: None in this episode. So that's a brief synopsis of the Italian treatment. Let's also get very quickly caught up on recent events.
2: Angel, please hit us with that sweet, sweet background. <coughs> <coughs> 1919 is actually a quiet year, considering the First World War ends in 1918, and also there's this absolute fucking massive wave of influenza in the summer of 1918 that kills a bunch of people right as they are celebrating the end of the giant war. I wonder if that's a coincidence. I wonder if that's a modern parallel. We'll never know. As it turns out, war, pretty great for the economy. Go fuck yourself, capitalism. And so everyone now is like super duper worried about how to turn their war business into hear me out on this yep non-war business oh as well as having jobs for all the men that are in the process of coming back from sad world war also prohibition is basically looming it's it's creeping it's it's biking its way across america <laughs> jesus christ everyone knows it's a coming everyone knows that prohibition is a teenage boy <laughs> freshly in they just know it's coming
1: Start taking long showers and shit <laughs>
2: Yeah, of course it's not official until nineteen twenty, so the alcohol businesses are just just being real sweaty all over the goddamn place.
1: Which brings us to the molasses industry.
2: Now we know what you're thinking. And well, I mean we always do. Yeah. But in this case. It's what what the fuck is molasses? Well, I'm here to tell you. It's sugarcane. Specifically, it's the byproduct of boiling down sugarcane to get table sugar. The first batch is delicious, delicious molasses. The second batch is slightly less delicious molasses. <laughs> and the third batch mm. is even less delicious disgusting blackstrap molasses. Emphasis on the ass.
1: So molasses is a bunch of different commercial uses, but largely it's for distilleries for spirits. Or it's used to make raw alcohol for gunpowder and shit. That's official. Like shit.
2: So in 1919, with alcohol about to be banned and the war over... Yes, exactly. People
1: in the molasses industry are freaking the fuck out. And one of those people is Arthur Gell, the man in charge of the largest molasses tank in Boston.
0: The office of Arthur P. Gell, time and date flexible. We are doing background stuff. Don't worry so much. Okay, fine, it's between 1915 and 1918.
1: God. What's up, everybody? This fucking guy is the treasurer of Purity Distilling, the Division of United States Industrial Alcohol, USIA. Yeah. This is his big shot at the promotion he's always dreamed of. He basically has to prove himself worthy and capable and not cause any embarrassments or fuck-ups or disasters. No disasters, Arthur. Arthur, look at me. Look at me right in the eyes. No, you're not going to cause any disasters, right?
2: What's up, everyone? (laughs) This fucking guy is the treasure of Purity Distilling, a division of the United States Industrial Alcohol, also known as the USIA. This is
1: my big shot at the promotion that I've always dreamed about. So I have to prove myself worthy and capable and not cause any embarrassments or disasters
2: or fuck-ups. No disasters, Arthur. You got it? Arthur, you're not going to cause any disasters, are you? Arthur? Uh, Arthur? Arthur? Okay. Buddy? Great. Arthur has been in charge here at Purity for a little, little bit. He's mostly worked on getting the brand-sparking new molasses tank for his bosses. It took a very long time, and Arthur worked very, very hard on it. He had to pick the spot. It's cute, right in the middle of the most populated neighborhood in Boston. Full of immigrant families, you know? (laughs) The ones with kids.
1: He had to negotiate really hard for this spot. And it's sort of a lease job, but whatever. It's done! They build the tank in record time. Mainly... By cutting some of the thickness out of the steel plates and just hammering those rivets, just holding the, just hammering them in to the entire tank. Just, just, just throwing there. it together. Dole!
2: Now if you're like, well, he rushed it, but at least he got done and no one got hurt. Well, <clears throat> sorry to tell you that on December, 1915, one of the laborers, Thomas DeFratis fell off staging during the workday and died.
1: Okay. Okay. Admittedly, not the best start. But that same month, Arthur gets to report back to his bosses that the tank is done and ready for the molasses shipments. Just in time. Oh, right. Yeah. I mean, (laughs) sort of. He was... Okay. He was supposed to fill the entire tank with water to double check that it was actually ready. But in the end, he thought, best not. A real
2: environmentalist, our boy Arthur.
1: He ends up just putting like a wee little bit of Just a just a lit like a little bit of water into sea just like about six inches so he's like every other dude with six inches well hey probably good enough
2: at this point you must be wondering how arthur a treasurer is remotely qualified to supervise the creation of one of the largest molasses tanks in the u.s doesn't seem like it might fit that doesn't seem like it might you know i don't know maybe need an engineer or at least like a guy who isn't a fucking finance bro
1: surprise Yay! he isn't qualified at, at all. Oh. But USIA Ooh. is kind of like, yeah, fuck it. Finance, engineer, close enough, whatever.
2: Same thing. They both went to school. Yeah. So the first shipment shows up and it's, it's good to go, actually. It's, oh. it's great. Arthur takes a little victory lap.
1: Fortunately, not long after that victory lap, the tank starts to leak. Like the entire tank and like all of the rivets. So much so that the neighborhood kids start popping by to just scoop up the molasses and take home. That's how much it's leaking. Just like everywhere.
2: But is our boy Arthur worried? No, he isn't. You think he would be? Mm -mm. He's just annoyed. But he's just
1: a finance guy, so. Yeah. Arthur's tank site manager, a lovely dude called Isaac Gonzalez, starts to become a huge headache for Arthur. He's constantly complaining about the strange noises that the tank is making and about how much it leaks. He's even sleeping at the tank site, terrified that something bad will happen. Arthur thinks,
2: and this is true, that he's paranoid. Arthur, you know, the guy whose office is a town away and who never visits the tank. Arthur, the treasurer who pretended to be a qualified engineer for capitalist reasons. You know, that guy. Thinks that the other guy, who is in fact a qualified site manager who spends all his time there and who, by the grace of his own conscience, checks on the tank at night when he is not paid to just mm-hmm. okay buddy let's just Shh, arthur.
1: in his defense we're at war with the baddies and okay just to be safe let's address the leaking problem okay just just to be safe in late summer 1918 in the decision of all decisions
2: arthur empties the tank and his specialists come in and fix a problem but no no, no. Oh, I get it. Even better. He hires union guys, and he has the tank moved to an off-site location in order to protect all the families and the lives that, like, live right next to this thing. Also, no. Okay, he hires a highly qualified environmentalist group to not only take care of the issue, but make sure that everyone in his plant that has to deal with this gets, like, double pay. And he hires permanent security to help keep the site safe and keep children away, yeah? No. He, he gives I- Isaac a raise? He- he-
1: he has the tank painted the exact same color as molasses so
2: you can't see it leaking. Nope. Yep. nope. I'm gonna, just gonna. Fuck this, dude. Fuck this. Oh. You okay now? No, not at all. Not even a little bit. Even before this episode started <laughs> recording.
1: If it helps at all, bud. That was also Isaac's reaction. He rage quit. Then, in December 1918, our good boy Arthur has the tank recocked, And this time, this time, it seems to work.
2: Oh, Jesus Christ, finally.
0: The molasses tank site, Boston's North End, January 13th,
2: 1919. <laughs> so the USIA is rushing to get the molasses in the tank and getting ready for alcohol distillers to buy it to make the last legal rum before prohibition takes effect next year. The pressure is on. Since now the war is over too, the molasses industry is going to be in a tough spot upon this time next year.
1: Now the molasses shipment arrives in record time. And the molasses is still nice and warm in the belly of the ship. Despite the temperatures in Boston. Now there's only a little bit left inside the tank before the shipment.
2: I just want Arthur to know Mm -hmm. that I am staring at him. I am fucking staring bullets into this man. Through time and space. Just... Mm -hmm. Yeah.
1: So getting it from the ship... Into the tank, goes really, really quick and easy. Nice, warm, goopy molasses right on top of cold molasses. Despite that, though, the captain of the boat is uneasy, and he really, really, really doesn't love the new paint color.
2: Gee, I wonder why. He's a
1: big millennial pink guy.
2: Okay, I don't blame him. It makes sense to yeah. me. He takes his boat and bounces after the shipment is done, and pretty much everyone reports that the tank starts making some weird-ass noises right it's filled. Incredibly similar noises to me after I eat cheese.
1: Death, polio, spontaneous combustion. Dying comes, and after death comes decomposition. It may seem sad and also gross, but here you are, and here's your host. Not an actual doctor, but it's
0: mess. That's
1: with Dr. A.
2: So here's the thing about molasses. Cold molasses and warm molasses do not hang out very well. The vibes? Muy malo. Well, the vibes are a chemical reaction that produces methane, here's the issue though. When you dump nice happy warm molasses into sad sticky thick molasses, all the warm stuff goes underneath the cold stuff. And the cold stuff is a lot denser, and so the gases can't escape through the sort of leathery top. And our friends who did the recocking in December did a real good job. And by real good, I mean too good. The tank isn't linking. Like at all. And if the gases can't get out through the top or through the seams, well... Kaboom? Kaboom, my dear Watson. Happy New Year.
0: The Molasses Tank Site, North End, Boston. January 15th, 1919. A little before noon.
1: (laughs) Now, Isaac Gonzalez's boss, William White... (sighs) Because
0: of fucking course. Okay, Real
1: names. He's chilling at the site when his wife calls. She's like, babe, are you busy at work? And he's like, nah, baby. And she's like, cool. Come shopping with me for lunch. And this man gets up and leaves to have a nice little time for himself and leaves the molasses tank completely unattended. Just nobody.
2: Which I guess is, like, cool for him, because he gets to, like,
0: live. 12.41.
1: At roughly a quarter to 1 p.m., the molasses tank explodes. And when I say explodes... I mean, a very full tank pushes 2.3 million gallons of quickly cooling molasses into a crowded neighborhood at a top speed of 35 miles an hour.
2: Uh, this is the part of the episode where shit gets real. Yeah. The rivets that failed are also pelleted into the air. You know, just as a fun feature to add. It's in the back of the DVD cover. Bing,
1: bing. The molasses takes out everything in its immediate path, including a firehouse, a train on an elevated railway, and in the case of the Clarities moves their entire
2: house into the sea, which sounds like it would be nice, but no. Now, 21 people die as a result of the flood. The youngest victims were as young as 10. And were at the tank at the time of the blast getting in trouble for trying to get some molasses.
1: A few of the firefighters on duty get trapped in the firehouse crawl space as it's pushed along the flood, and it takes rescuers a while to get them out. In that time, the crawl space is actively filling up with molasses. And the furniture has got most of the men stuck there pinned down and or with severe injuries.
2: I know we usually give a trigger warning at the beginning of an episode. You're getting one right now. Because it's rough. One of the people that died is George Leahy. He is trapped laying face down and is forced to hold up his head above the molasses levels. But eventually exhaustion wins out and he drowns before they can pull him up to safety.
1: Now, we don't want to get into too much more detail about how the victims are dying because like with George, it's, it's pretty fucking horrible. Basically, lots of them come down to internal injuries or suffocation or both.
2: Turns out, death by very viscous thick liquids is god-awful. Yeah. In addition to the 21 deaths, about 150 other folks get injured. And when I say injured, I mean the force of molasses was fracturing skulls and breaking backs by slamming unsuspecting people into buildings. You gotta remember, this stuff was traveling at the speed of a car. Jeez. The cleanup on this takes months, and as it turns out, molasses not something you want to have to clean out of basements and streets. They have to use seawater to try to break it up, and as a result, Boston Harbor is just brown all summer long. The city smells like molasses when it gets warm, which sounds nice, but isn't.
1: They find the body of the final victim, Cesar Niccolo, under the Boston Wharf in May 1919, four months after the tank collapses.
2: The last victim, Stephen Clarity. Yes, that Stephen Clarity, whose house is unfortunately now in the ocean, dies in December 1919, 11 months after the explosion, but his health, both mental and physical, was severely affected by the trauma. Historians often count his death among the victims, but in the resulting court case, he was not counted. Did Did you say court case? I did. Dope. Fun Facts
0: with Nash
1: to meet Colonel Hugh W. Ogden. He's a lawyer, and a good one. And he also just got back from being a soldier, and as it turns out, he was pretty good at that too. He gets back from the war basically as shell-shocked as everyone else, but he vows to use it for good. He goes back to law, his pre-war field, but now only works for the little guy, often
2: taking pro bono cases and the like. Oh no, he sounds nice. Like, you know. Yes. Yeah, like like he'd go down on you, right? Yeah. But then like doesn't expect it back. He's just yeah. kind of like, no, it's fine. Yeah, for sure. Is, it, is that the
1: only nice thing that you can think of? <laughs> that's...
2: Just, I mean, it's like the nicest thing I can think of, so...
1: The, the script says there's going to be a list, and that was just... That
2: was it. I mean, that is the list. I don't see what else you would want.
1: Now, USIA manages to get themselves out of a criminal case where they face manslaughter charges.
2: Oh, okay, that's a thing. The fuck?
1: Lawyers, mate. But that doesn't stop them from being sued civilly, which they were. Our good buddy Ogden becomes the judge of that case and listens to arguments starting in 1920. USIA's big defense is that it probably wasn't negligence. It had to be those pesky Italian anarchists.
2: Okay, look, in fairness to them, Italian anarchy was all the rage back then. And they did use bombs as fighting tactics, but they're just, you know, absolutely no evidence either in court or in real life that they targeted the tank and exploded it. And also, it would be pretty rude of Italian anarchists to explode a dangerous 2.3 million gallons of swampy molasses into what is essentially a neighborhood full of their own people.
1: USIA does sort of okay at trial, though, poking little holes and bringing in witnesses who describe what bombs can do, and etc. But then, the lawyer for the people, Damon Hall, cross-examines our good little buddy Arthur Joe.
2: If we only had the time left in this episode to read the court manuscripts, because damn, honestly, Arthur makes absolutely zero fucking attempt to save himself for the USIA. Paul
1: peppers him with questions about why on earth absolutely no one with qualifications of any kind inspected the tank or even maintained it. And Arthur, well, okay, okay, wait, let's just make time for one quick exchange.
2: Did you have any knowledge or experience, whatever, that enabled you to tell whether the construction work was done satisfactorily or whether the tank was strong?
1: I considered the tank satisfactory for our purpose.
2: If you will just answer the qu. You have. No. Te- None. No technical experience of any kind.
1: No. Huh! All pulls absolutely no punches, proving what a complete buffoon Arthur Jell has been. And of course, by extension, all of usia he also proves in court that the company that made the tank hammond ironworks decreased the thickness of the steel by about 10 percent. you know just within margins of error just to meet the tight timeline
2: oh good just just everybody just fucking up all over the place
1: ogden hears testimony until september 1923 three years and then he returns his verdict in 1925 another two years I'm so glad you finally learned how to cow, buddy. I'm really proud of you.
2: I swear, Nash, I will quit the show right fucking now. But what's
1: important here is not just that Ogden finds USIA guilty of negligence. It's that he awards damages to all of those affected, to the tune of what is today somewhere just under $5 million. Now, we are not in the business of disaster porn here at DNF.
2: No, our porn interests have a lot fewer historical figures. I and mean, they're there. They're there. It's not as many as you think. Mm-mm, speak for yourself.
1: And so you might be wondering why we're covering such a small, localized event that had little impact on death and dying in 1919.
2: Because we want to is apparently not a choice.
1: Ogden's decision in court to hold USIA liable for the death and destruction is a landmark decision for workers across the world. It's the first time in history big business has been forced to pay damages and death payments to workers. And it's made even more important by the fact that these folks, some of them, were not even U.S. citizens. And some of them were technically trespassing on USIA property in the case of the 210 10-year-old victims.
2: The Boston Molasses flood often gets overlooked for bigger, more wide-reaching events, some that we've covered here. Or it's sometimes used as a joke, historical event. But it's centered right in the middle of a whole lot of bigger history, and it's both built on and an influencer of those events happening before and after.
1: And so even if Arthur Gell specifically never faces the consequences of his actions...
2: I mean, he does live in New Jersey, so... like
1: That's fair. Capitalist negligence and profits over people takes a pretty significant hit.
2: And I mean, the USIA is probably pretty mad at Arthur for a bit. You know, just little things, just microaggressions towards him. Like, give him a stapler that's broken. Yeah. Like, hey, who ate my lunch? Right? Hold him down as they fuck his wife in front of him. What? It was her idea.
1: Right, HR wasn't invented until like three days ago. Mm Mm-hmm. Additionally, Italians in the North End and elsewhere use this case as a springboard to become US citizens,
2: which helps curb the racism. And it also teaches white people that food is supposed to taste good. You know, with seasonings. And, hang on. hmm Cheese.
1: And on that note, ice Tea. That's messed up. That's the episode. A special thanks to you, our favorite listener. Remember to subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. A rate and review
2: would also be nice. You can also follow us on Instagram and Twitter. I'm at Gorilla Jokes. And I'm at It's Nash Flynn. And of course, follow the podcast at Death and Friends Podcast. Want
1: to become an official member of the Skeleton Army? Join us on Patreon. We use it to cover our sound guys' medical bills. In order to properly write medical facts, we expose Dom to all the illnesses and ways to die we
2: talk about on the show. Don't, don't worry, this episode, we, we didn't. Yeah, it's, it was too horrifying. We just sort of pelted him with a few rivets and called him an Italian for a while. He's fine, if not a bit confused. Yeah. Hey, so of are Patreon. Let's thank our listeners at the Brendan Fraser level. Insert audio file for the <laughs> thing. We still got to figure that out. Sorry, no.
1: So check it out at patreon.com slash deathandfriends. Also, we have a website now, deathandfriends.org. That's dot O-R-G. Join us as we make the entire internet worse.
2: Well... This was an episode full of weird tonal shifts, and at the end of the day, it was a pretty serious episode, and you know, we get it, death is tricky to talk about, so please remember that you are loved, you matter, and if you don't want to be your own friend, we will happily be your friend.
1: Allora, che cosa fai stasera, dolcesa?
2: Don't you ever weaken me like that again.
1: Wasn't it you? It was for the ladies. Some wingman you are.
2: Okay. It's still just the audio, so, you know. <laughs> Until next time, Skeleton Army. Stay spooky. Love you. Te yeah, amo. This has been a Navy Inc.
0: podcast. Go to naveryinc.com for more details. Executive produced by Jacob Duffy Halbleib. Audio design by Dominic Guanzon. Themes and transitions by Amy Doe. The fuck is a knave? Remember this is a comedy podcast? Don't use it in your research papers.
1: There's no such thing as hooker client con Hang on one like... second. I do love how God like, damn we were it. like It's the first line We were like This is not a joke And then we immediately Were like What if it was Law and order
2: I mean You you wrote the episode What if there were Just a series of jokes
1: After we were like This is not gonna be funny
2: <clears throat> Oh boy Death <laughs> We have to change it to, From the dun dun To din din Just to avoid <laughs> from Copyright dur, dur. <laughs> It'd be funny Like at first We use the dun dun And then afterwards After we get in trouble Which and it's like Din din <laughs>
1: Yes, I love it.
2: Okay. Mm -hmm.
1: Death? Do I look like Dana Carvey right now?
2: (laughs) You don't. You look like, um... No. Gay? (laughs) You just look real gay.
1: This is the gayest hat I own. I literally was like, this is the gayest hat I own. You look
2: very gay. (laughs) Non-derogatory. Death? What? But but people love Italian stuff.
1: It's in very recent memory. What's up, brother? Death? In fact, Italians... Oh, no, we were going to cut this line. Oh, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> in fact, you were never going to know what that line is. Just never going to know yes. it.
2: Just... Shh, 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 shh. <laughs> uh, hang on. Is <clears throat> yep. so my moment to yep. shine here? Yep, go ahead. Jesus Christ. I don't think you should say Jesus Christ now because it's
1: not reacting to anything really horrific
2: okay then uh white folks could turn out like hang on hang on just one like, second just there's... like butter hang on i have i have this thing highlighted here hang on mm-hmm. you see this yeah yep mm-hmm. it's just his penis <laughs> Death. <laughs>
1: literally like every italian man on earth is named dominic
2: i don't know man
1: there's literally I've a song had, you... called dominic the donkey about well he's a donkey i guess so that's
2: fair Uh, it was in the name. Wow, way to be racist towards Italians (laughs) Nora. It's a song that they wrote! Christ! Jesus (laughs) Christ!
1: (laughs) This is what gets me cancelled, like random Italian hatred. (laughs) Death? With a capacity of 2.3 million gallons. 1.3? 2.3. Did I say 1.3?
2: You said 1.3.
1: With a capacity of 2.3 million gallons. (laughs) Why don't you just sneeze? (laughs) Twice. (laughs)
2: you fucked it up twice. All right. Um.
1: Death? And the molasses is still nice and warm in the belly of the ship, despite the temperatures in Boston. Ooey gooey
2: gooey in the mm,
1: Just like rapidly cooling jizz. And the molasses is still nice and warm in the belly of the ship.
2: Just sitting in the uterus, trying to penetrate the egg.
1: Mm, looking for home. Mm. Where are you, mommy? <laughs> I just sexualized mm. sperm. Just saying a lot. Yeah. <clears throat> And the molasses is still nice and warm.
2: <laughs> the uterus is like I'm stuck in the laundry machine.
1: Death. I thought this is jizz part of Law and Order. <laughs> oh, no, this is. I death. was like, there's a jizz part, but then Nash I was is like, too all right.
2: Horny. Death? This just in, Nash, real horny for molasses.